Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We are ready to offer a highly ambitious trade deal, including zero tariffs and zero quotas. There is no need for a free trade agreement to involve accepting EU rules on competition policy, subsidies, social protection, the environment, or anything similar. I think there is a significant risk of what some people are calling No Deal 2.0. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Solik. Good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, not very good news. Coronavirus cases in the UK are rising and we do see panic buying in places like France and Indonesia. So I think we've got to be very responsible today about how we talk about this virus. James Slack, for example, uh, saying that the government is working to ensure that the UK economy is properly supported. The UK is confident that Brexit will continue on schedule despite the virus. So the government spokesperson. So we're going to get the latest a little bit later in the programme with our health editor, John Lowerman. We're also going to speak to the former senior Labour advisor, Tom Hamilton, and discuss the London mayoral election as well. That comes as a top government health advisor tells MPs the UK is already moving to the second phase of its response to the coronavirus. That is from simply containing now onto the delaying the peak of the outbreak. We have had three more people tested positive for COVID-19 in Scotland as the numbers climb. They were all thought to have it from close contact with other known cases. So at least there's some level of sort of causation coming through there. We heard from Professor Chris Whitty. He is England's chief medical officer. There are now several, not large numbers, but several cases where we cannot see where this has come from in terms of a clear transmission. And that, I think, makes it highly likely, therefore, that there is some level of community transmission in this virus in the UK now. So that is uh, Chris uh, Whitty. Of course, we've been seeing a lot of him in recent days trying to uh, calm people and uh, make the situation clear in terms of coronavirus. Well, joining us in our London studio today is Mandu Reid, who is the London mayoral candidate for the Women's Equality Party. So a very warm welcome back to the studio. Uh, it's part, of course, of our series, speaking to all the uh, mayoral candidates. But I guess it comes on an interesting day, Mandu, because I want to start with coronavirus. The government's action plan this week estimates that in the worst case scenario, there could be more than 6 million people off work at the yeah. peak of this coronavirus. And I'm very interested in this angle. One of the economic consequences of the virus may actually be that it disproportionately affects women, perhaps not in terms of deaths, which mm-hmm. is something that we saw with Ebola, where women and children suffered the most, but certainly in economic terms, because, of course, women occupy more caring roles, paid and unpaid. Mm-hmm. How do you see it? Well, I think that's a really, really important angle that um, I'm not hearing enough about um, when I hear the, the responses that are coming out from central government. I mean, there are kind of at least three levels to it. On the first 
on the first point, if a lot of people are um, out of work, yeah, or aren't able to go into work or are being given instructions not to go into work, you have to look at how that impact reverberates on people who are in different circumstances. So if you're talking about people who have the least secure and the lowest paid jobs, um, possibly zero hours contracts, you need to know that um, overwhelmingly those that type of employment is occupied by women. They are overrepresented in that type of employment. So, And, and, and this idea of, well, the government's come forward and said statutory stick, sick pay is going to be available for the first day now that mm. somebody declares that they are they are unwell. Well, you know what? A lot of the people I've just described are in uh, don't earn enough to be eligible for that statutory stick pay, whether it's paid to them on day one or day three or whenever. Okay, so that's but an you, issue for women. Okay, that is the issue. But you are a tiny party. And so uh, mm-hmm. this is the issue about trying to amplify that message, I would argue. How can you possibly do that? Well, I mean, what I expect is um, politicians who claim that they have the best interests of the public at heart to take responsibility for that. This is what being in power means. This is what leadership is. Um, caring responsibilities you've already touched on. People are going to be made more vulnerable elderly people, children potentially, it's women who pick up the tab. What's the response for them? Now imagine if, right, um, the response to a crisis like this, any kind of crisis like this, had as its starting point examining the ways men and women are differently affected. For me, that's a no-brainer. That should be a starting point for um, any body in a position of leadership, whether they're a mayor, whether they're the prime minister, whether they're responsible for the public health response to a crisis like this. So, Mandu, if you were in Sadiq Khan's position right now, mm-hmm. what would you be doing in terms of hard and fast policies to deal with this? We talk about people getting off work and a care roles and the pressure on that. How is that addressed? I mean, I would hope that um, Sadiq Khan is asking the question. I would hope he, when he's um, advocating particular responses and sending advice out to businesses, I would expect him to be saying, how will men and women be differently affected and making sure that the recommendations, any funding, any emergency reactions to this take account of the way men and women are differently affected. I mean, I think you also have to look at this, and this is bigger picture again, from the point of view of the National Health Service, right? We're in a situation where the National Health Service, which is on its knees, it's an organization in crisis, is our first line of defense. Um, Nurses have been undervalued and underpaid for uh, decades, since the austerity crisis really, really took hold. And so we have a situation where, um, you know, the gendered effects of austerity and of cuts are start are coming home to roost in a really terrifying way. And mm. that's, that's an issue for Boris Johnson. I would expect Sadiq Khan or any mayor of any city in this country to be proactively asking the questions, how are men and women differently affected and get their experts to respond in a way that actually takes account of that differential impact. Okay, but the pitch from the Women's Equality yeah. Party is certainly not getting through it with seem in terms of voters um, when it comes to the mayoral race and I understand you took over sort of late in the day yeah, because you know sadly I know Sue Black had to step down due to health concerns but in terms of the campaign what are you really hoping for in terms of votes I mean is this surely just about getting a seat in the London Assembly that it surely is just what you're hoping for there are all sorts of things going on there's the mayoral race and mm. then there's the London Assembly and yeah. both of those contests are really important um, you know 
know, I, I'm, I'm an outside bet for, for mayor, absolutely, but I do have an important role to play in this contest. My job um, is to make the arguments that typically get neglected. Okay, so let's talk about the economy, for example. Um, London has a, a maternal employment rate that's 8% lower than the national average. Now, if you are responsible as mayor for economic development, you should be uh, taking action that in the long run helps to close that gap down. And what I would be arguing for if I was mayor, I'm going to give all the candidates ideas that I expect them to kind of incorporate into their own manifestos. If I was mayor, I would be saying what we should be arguing for is a devolution deal that allows the mayor responsibility for... Um, childcare provision in this city. That, that can be is, done. That is an incredibly hard nut to crack that so many industries, including the finance industry, are trying to resolve how to fix the pay gap. It's enormous. It is. What is your suggestion? But being a, yeah, but th- this, is, this is one angle to it, right? First of all, you look at the business case for it. If you close the maternal employment gap in London, yeah, um, it would contribute about 21 billion to the economy by 2025. How do you actually do that? You sort out childcare, one of the issues. We have the most expensive childcare in the world across all the OCD countries here in London, OECD countries here in London. And so you have to, as mayor, it doesn't make sense for you to have responsible for the economic development of the city, but only have powers that enable you to address um, that. So when you say sort out, do you mean subsidise? What you need to what you need to do there's a whole raft of measures that you need to you need to take. First of all, there's a workforce angle to it. There's a demand and supply problem, right? So you need to be investing in the workforce. You need to be um, uh, it, it actually improving their wages, but increasing the supply of workers. You need to be um, using things that are within the mayor's power, like the London Plan, to actually insist, make it a requirement that any new um, development has childcare provision incorporated into it. You need to be encouraging organisations like Goldman Sachs. You see what they've done with the establishment of their, they spent a billion pounds investing in their new HQ here in London, and what they've incorporated into that. That, um, is provision for um, childcare. Mm. There's nurseries. There's um, opportunities for women who are breastfeeding to, well, to do Sadiq that. Sadiq Khan, I mean, way. has sort of, in a way, um, incorporated that idea in terms of the the plan to build yeah. more affordable homes in London. Surely. Yes, but it is an option, this thing of incorporating childcare facilities within new Mm. developments. I'm saying make it a requirement. That's within the mayor's gift. Yes, lobbying for more powers is a long-term project, but you have to do that as mayor. You have to be ambitious and you have to be looking at the structural Mm. things that contribute to the problems your city is facing. Okay, so what about some of the other big policy issues? Transport, for Mm -hmm. example. Rory Stewart was in the studio the other day saying that the tube network is on its knees and that it's creaking. What would you do to revitalise transport across London? I mean, again, I'm going to look at this problem from the vantage point of women whose whose lives and perspectives are typically neglected. With a a transport system that's kind of emerged, I suppose you could say, organically in a city like London, you have a situation where um, the public transport routes are mirror 
the way men travel around the city. So a lot of the transport routes, say the tube, when you look at zone two and outwards, are just about getting people in and out of the center of town. Women navigate the city in very different ways. We do trip chaining where, you know, you might be going to the grocery store or dropping off kids at school or picking them up or whatever. So what you can do is review how the bus network operates, what the bus routes are, the frequency of the buses. When you're investing in the new bus fleets, because that comes around time from time to time, you make sure there's provision for push chairs and wheelchairs. There is power and influence and opportunity for the mayor to make this city a place where women are equal citizens. At the moment, we're not. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Coronavirus very much dominating the headlines today. The number of cases here continue to climb. Speaking to Parliament earlier, England's Chief Medical Officer, Professor Chris Whitty, said the government is trying to pull off the potential peak. It buys us time to improve our understanding of the virus because there are are many things we do know, but there are also some things we don't know which would help us either to target our response more effectively or to develop countermeasures. So that was Professor Chris Whitty speaking. Well, for more, we're joined by Bloomberg's health reporter, John Lauerman. Uh, John, look, were you surprised um, by what Professor Whitty said about the upper end of the UK death rate from coronavirus? Because he talked about it being about 1%. Yes, and uh, just the other day, uh, the WHO talked about a death rate of 3.4%. So what's different in the UK? Well, it's really not all that different. This is something that we've been looking into ourselves, which is um, that the death rate really depends in many ways on how many people you test and how many people you find who are sick. I mean, there are a lot of people uh, 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 throughout the world, perhaps not in the UK right now, since we do have very low rates, only 85 cases so far here in the UK, whereas in uh, some Asian countries, thousands of cases, obviously in China, many, many more. Many people who don't have symptoms or are very mild cases, never been found. So uh, it stands to reason that uh, the death rate that, that, that would be extremely low out of the number of cases that you would be finding here. And what do we learn about how ready the NHS is to deal with this? Yeah, so the readiness of the NHS is something that uh, uh, Professor Woody was uh, questioned on. And they, one of the things that he said is they do expect not to be overwhelmed, but to be extremely pressured over a period of about three weeks. In a worst-case scenario, if uh, the, the, the worst-case scenario they see is something about 50% of the entire cases detected all being found within a, a three-week period of time, all those people showing up at hospitals. But it's not that unusual. I mean, similar things happen every year with flu. You get the um, 
uh, what they call it, the winter crisis. You have mm. the winter crisis here. So it would be similar to that. It might occur in winter. It might occur in the summer. Nobody exactly knows when this three-week period is going to occur, but that's what they're planning for right now, a three-week period during which they'll see about half the cases that will all ever be detected. It's the, the danger that you get a double whammy. You get the winter crisis and you get coronavirus at the same time. That That is certainly one of the dangers. And, of course, another one of the dangers that he talked about is uh, that <clears throat> many healthcare workers themselves will actually mm. become sick. And that's something that they try to plan for. One of the contingencies uh, that they're talking about is actually bringing back retirees, people who have recently left the ranks of doctors and bringing them back really to Is that really possible? Because we have heard that. And then now the government's now talking about retirees, you know, people who've retired within the past three years. I mean, that to me seems like a big mountain to climb. Well, I, I would think that you could go out and ask people to come back who have only mm -hmm. been out for about two or three years. Um, uh, people who are still familiar with the, the procedures of the NHS. All right. Thanks very much. That's John Lauman, Bloomberg's health editor. Well, let's move it on um, and see how this is being handled politically. We're joined now by Tom Hamilton. He is associate director at WPI Strategy and a former senior Labour advisor. He's also the co-author of Punch and Judy Politics, an outsider's guide to prime minister's questions. Uh, so, Tom, yesterday... An insider's we, guide, even. An insider's guide. Uh, so, uh, we spoke yesterday, or we saw yesterday Jeremy Corbyn laying into Boris Johnson yeah. at prime minister's questions over his handling of this outbreak. Um, what is your take on how this is being dealt with so far? I saw somebody saying that the government has yet to put a foot wrong, but then we've got accusations of being an absent prime minister coming from the Labour front bench. Yeah, I mean, there was quite a lot of criticism of Boris Johnson earlier on when he was he seemed to be pretty invisible. I think this week he's um, he's been handling it rather better. He gave quite an effective press conference uh, the other day. I think there are two different issues here. There's the question of how the government is um, is responding in terms of how it presents itself? Does it look calm? Does it look like it, it basically knows what's happening? Um, which, broadly speaking, I think it probably does at the moment. And then there's the wider question about, you know, is it actually working? Is it capable of coping with the crisis? And I think that's, we're in a sort of too early to stay phase on that. I mean, mm. as you just heard, um, you know, we haven't reached what the government expects to be the, the, the peak of the number of people who, um, who who have the virus. And part of the strategy now is to keep that you know, delayed for as for as long as possible, partly so that it doesn't coincide with the, the with the winter crisis in the NHS, which, you know, to get political for a minute, um, the fact that there is an annual winter crisis in the NHS is something that was not the case in quite the same way 10, 15 years ago because of the different level of attention that was being paid to the NHS and, and to public services more widely by the, by the previous government. And, and um, you know, it is it is noticeable that yeah. for the last several years we've had what we've had a, a, a very serious winter crisis every winter, and then what looks like the old phase of, of, of winter crisis every summer. So the question is, can the can the NHS? Well, the whole I mean, look, I'm sure that um, you know the Conservative government, indeed Conservatives M MPs and others, would argue that that's also because of an aging population. Yeah, right, the last absolutely. ten to fifteen years, the pressures on the NHS are enormous. So look. Um, Obviously, there's also increasing focus on, you know, where there might be extra government spending. I mean, do you think yeah. that Rishi Sunak, the new um, uh, uh, finance minister, the new chancellor, is actually going to offer more money or rather, should I say, the, the, the prime minister behind that mm -hmm. the chancellor is going to offer more money to the NHS? Well, it wouldn't surprise me if that did happen, or not just the NHS, actually, but mo just more widely. I mean, there's been quite a lot of briefing in the last few days that, you know, that the budget is, is going to have to shift its focus a little bit mm. to being much more about immediate term contingency planning for dealing with you know no one blames the government at all for the fact that there is a coronavirus crisis clearly a global crisis but it's going to affect the UK in certain ways it is going to have 
pretty much inevitably quite a serious economic impact that has implications for the government's plans going forward. And yeah, the, the budget is going to have to start to deal with that. And then we saw several media reports about Parliament shutting down perhaps until September. The idea that essentially being that these are 650 people that come to Westminster, yeah. mingle about and then go off out into the country again. Uh, the government spokesperson saying there are no plans to shut down Parliament. But of course, we don't know how these things are going to develop. You've worked in Parliament. Yeah. How do you see this playing out if there's a long period where nobody is doing anything? I would be astonished if they shut down Parliament. Uh, I, and I think that it has been sort of closed down pretty quickly by by, by spokespeople this morning. I mean, in, in a situation where pretty much every workplace is closed, I can imagine that they might allow Parliament to be part of that. But I think the signal that it sends for Parliament to be shut mm. down when other people are not being expected to, the fact that that sets, out, that sets an example to other employers that maybe that's something that they should do as well, when all the medical advice is that that, that isn't necessary at the moment, um, and the economic hit of that, it's not just about what Parliament does, it's about what everyone else does in response. And I take the point about, you know, 650 super spreaders who are, who are carrying the virus all over the country. There's a, there's a lot of workplaces that involve people who, who travel around and come into contact with people mm. who, might, who, who might get sick. I mean, if you're closing down Parliament, why aren't you closing down all the schools? Why aren't you closing down workplaces yeah. like this very office very, which is very full of symbolic. people and, yeah, and I course. don't think that they would want to do that Okay let's get on to the other big political issue which yeah. of course is the um, the Home Secretary Preeti Patel who faces um, these growing number of allegations mm. about bullying um, you know why is she still in place on the um, government side uh, you know it's all about the investigation that is ongoing yeah. but um, you know the accusations sound serious Well the accusations are very serious the question is whether, whether they're true or not. And so the first part of the answer of why she's still in post is that there's an investigation going on and she's, she, she, she certainly wouldn't resign or be sacked until that has uh, has happened. But the, the more important reason is that Prisbys Hall is enormously important to the government's overall strategy. She's um, in her role as Home Secretary as someone who is known to have really very sort of tough hang em and flog em type instincts on crime who who helps to tell the Conservative Party's story of what it's about as a government they really don't want to to, to let her go and so that's why there are there are real questions at the moment about how, how impartial can an investigation really be if it's carried out inside government of a government minister who's still in, in post at the moment and under the overall leadership of a prime minister who's saying publicly, I think Priti Patel is brilliant. I mean, these these things, you know, you can't have the level of independence that you'd ideally want. And it's part of the, it sort of demonstrates that government as a whole, not the civil service part of government, but government as a whole, the political bit of it, just doesn't have the sort of HR procedures that's, um, that, that most of us enjoy in, in, in other walks of life. And it's hard to see how that could could ever really change given the elected nature of it. So what could we see happening to her if we get the facts come out, if it does turn out that she is at fault here? You said that she is uh, very valuable to the government. Mm. Could we see her shuffled elsewhere? I saw an argument. It was Katie Balls in the eye yesterday yeah. saying she could go to another cabinet position, but just not a great office of state. So that's not impossible. I must say, I would be I would be surprised if she went and I would and I would expect her to stay in the post that she's in because that's exactly the sort of role that that they would that they would want her in. Um, I think they will do everything they can to hang on to her. I mean, the, she's resigned. You know, she she's been sacked from government in, dis, in disgrace once and mm. brought back. Mm. So they've already taken a, a a bit of a risk, a bit of a punt on her because they think that she is she she is so so important. I mean, that's not to say that. If she is found to have to have been guilty of you know, 
repeated acts of bullying of various subordinates that might might make it difficult. We've already heard Conservative MPs who've come out publicly to, to to support her in Parliament and elsewhere, saying that they well, saying privately they feel uncomfortable about having done that. But I. At the moment, I expect her to stay. Just very briefly, where is the Labour opposition in all of this? Uh, you know, caught up in terms of the Labour leadership. How strong do you think um, the, uh, you know, Her Majesty's opposition is at the moment to hold this uh, new government uh, to account? Well, leadership campaigns just get in the way of everything else. And, um, you know, I think when you've got, you know, it's not to cast aspersions on, on Jeremy Corbyn to say that he's a lame duck leader. That is just what, it is, what he is. And nevertheless, he's, he's still the main message carrier for the party at the moment. And everyone else is, is focused very much on the leadership election. We've got, we've got a month to go, even though probably most votes have already been cast in the contest. And so we're not going to know um, for another month who, who, who's won. Keir Starmer is the overwhelming favourite, but you we'll just have to wait and see what happens. And in the meantime, yeah, you're right. The opposition isn't isn't stepping up to the plate as much as it might. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.